Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast with me, Ian McCourt, uh, Ryan Kent, hey. Paddy Higgs Hello. and Fabian Gorsler. Hey. Today we're going to be talking about Arsenal's defeat to Barcelona, Manchester City's chances in the Champions League and all the problems at PSG. So there are a couple of things that interest me about what went on at the Emirates the other night. First of all, Luis Enrique's get-up. Did anybody see this? No. You didn't see it? Well, typically... I saw you... a picture, yeah. But was it, is it a talking point? Well, I think, I think so. Typically, you see the manager dressed in a dark overcoat or a tracksuit or one of those awful illuminated jackets that makes him look like he's working on the road or something like that, rather than in charge of a multi-million pound organisation. And here was Luis Enrique turning up in this very cool olive green jacket you know olive green is in at the moment and these nice dark black slacks with these trendy trainers i think that's a talking point that's that's got to make him the most stylish manager around that's my contention i don't know i don't know i'm a big fan of olive coats i have to say um whether it makes him the most stylish guy around i don't know but you think of all the other managers around that they're never rocking anything Mancini. quite as cool as that he was a Oh, man. Yeah, because you wore a scarf. Everybody thought, "Ah, oh, this guy—he's yeah. got style." I, I was the king for me was always Leonardo, the former Milan and, and Inter Milan, and I think obviously spent some time at PSG um, in an off-field role as well. Um, skinny black tie kills it for me every time. You look like an extra on. What he um, wore? He wore dogs. He yeah. wore a skinny black tie to the matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely stunning. Okay. Yeah, well, well, we have a new you can't winner. Beat it. You can't beat it. Yeah. You're never going to beat a skinny back tie. He's lost to the game. Tie. He's missed because of, of you know, not having him on the touchline anymore. That skinny back tie, it sets a standard that uh, Luis Enrique's green jacket might not be able to hit just yet. I mean, I think Luis Enrique's green jacket is cool and it's stylish, but it screams, look at me, I know fashion starter pack. <laughs> it's something you can find in Top Man in H&M. I mean, come on, this guy's making millions. Dress a little nicer. That's what I would say. You'd like to see him maybe in something from Yeezy Season 3 or something? If he did that, I would be his biggest fan. Yeezy Season 3, on the pitches. We need, Yeezy needs to make kits as well for teams. Maybe that's the next venture in the Kanye West clothing line. On a similar note, did anybody see Jared Piquet's new hair and beer combination? Not the worst haircut on the uh, pitch, of course. I'm well, I... Iniesta doing the reverse bald man. I don't know how that happened. Um, <laughs> could, actually, you maybe, could you maybe explain this? Well, actually, I, I, I've got a picture because, Fabian, of course, you haven't seen it. So I, right. I, I've got it on the computer here. I just want to turn it to you and get a, a first reaction. So okay. this is not prepared, folks. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Is that his real hair? Yeah, I, well, we, we think so, yeah. yeah. But he, he's dyed it, right? Because he's, he's got grey hair on the sides. Possibly, he's... possibly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Either it... way, it's, uh, I mean, it, you know, he's older than me. I'm a 32-year-old man. If I walked into the office with that haircut, I'd expect all of you as my peers to tell me to piss off <laughs> and not come back until it's grown back. I would have just thought that you were a big taxi driver fan. Yeah, no, it's not bad, it's not bad either. It's just really severe at the back too. It doesn't work. It's like he's just watched Mad Max last week and he's like, <laughs> I need this in my life. On a more serious note, you, if you watch the match, that, um, the Arsenal-Barcelona match, you would have noticed towards at the end that there was pockets and pockets and very big pockets around the ground of empty seats that the Arsenal fans leaving early. What's up with that? Come on. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you can argue, of course, that the fans have bought the tickets so they can uh, decide when to leave the match, of course. But uh, I, I hate to see it, I've got to be honest. I hate to see fans leaving early. I've never done it myself. I don't want to judge anyone too much, but to be honest, it's just a bad look. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's Arsenal and Barcelona. It's not Arsenal against Cheltenham. You know, 6-0 up in the FA Cup, five minutes to go. You want to get home, have your tea. It's a two-hour ride on the train. You know, fair enough, go home, whatever. It's Arsenal and Barcelona. You're watching Messi, you're watching Suarez, you're watching Neymar. You, you just don't leave. And it's 2-0. It's not 5-0 or anything like that. There's still another leg to play. One goal could have changed everything at the end of that. I'm one of those fans who likes to go to games early and see the players warming up. But I also like to stay until the very, very end so I can see them leave the pitch and you know see who swapped jerseys and all that sort of nerdish things. I can't believe that other fans aren't like that. I just think that's incredible. I think growing up in a country where there was no football or no good football, it's different. Like if I went to a game, I would stay till the end. I would come early because it's an experience. Um, I guess the fans that are leaving, they see it all the time. You're right, Ryan. It is Barcelona. But I think in a way they've been spoiled because they see these games so often that they feel like they can leave early. Yeah, I mean, you can sometimes see fans working out as a form of protest, I think. Um, I've read that somewhere today. As a form of protest, you walk out rather than, you know, you let your team know that they're leaving the pitch. There's going to be no one in the stadium to kind of cheer them or support them. And I can understand that to a degree at Manchester United right now. Oh, Newcastle United, for example. Newcastle United, yeah. exactly. Um, but not Arsenal and Barcelona. Like, you know, Arsenal are playing relatively okay at the moment. They're not disastrous. And I think fans walking out. In that respect, I just don't really understand it. And like you said earlier, you've got the best front three possibly ever in the world. You want to savour every moment you can of exactly. of seeing them play. I mean, on that note, you probably don't want to see him play against <laughs> you know your team when you've got Permet Zaka in the in defence. But yeah, I mean, it's the, for the purest point of view, and I think that's where you're coming from, correct? But I don't think those front three are enough to keep Arsenal diehards at the game. There, there are other reasons to stay, is my right. point. Well, it's good that you mentioned Per Mertesacker, because that means we can move on. After the game, he and Wenger were talking, and they laid the blame for the defeat on the forwards, but that's the same Mertesacker who fluffed his clearance before, the, before Messi uh, won the penalty. And there were numerous times when Czech had to pull off frankly outstanding saves uh, one particular one against Neymar when he was one on one so who's to blame for all of this who's to blame for this Arsenal defeat is it the forwards is it is it the defence I mean I think it's very harsh to blame Matazaka because like you guys said you, they're going up against MSN the best front three in history maybe um, the goals they're scoring they've sc- I think there was a stat they scored They've scored 93 goals, and the entire Arsenal team has scored 63 or something like that. It's incredible. So any defense is going to have problems. I mean, look at what Messi did to Boateng. Uh, was it last year or two years ago? Um, and Matazaka is much, much slower than Boateng, so you can see where I'm getting at. It's, it's tough to blame the defense when they're up against such a great attacking three. I think the defense did a good job. I think they're just a better team, to be honest. You can try and pigeonhole it in, in mm. some way and put this blame somewhere. I mean, there's a lot of uh, mud being thrown around. Flamini was another one who, who got quite a lot of criticism. Um, I mean, to be honest, Flamini against Iniesta, there's only ever going to be one winner. They're just a better team sometimes. And you can organise 
you know, I mean, no one would ever uh, accuse Wenger of being um, ill-prepared for a, for a game like Barcelona. They're just a better team. It's as simple as that. Um, Arsenal have got a lot to do in this second leg. But for 70 minutes, they had it. They had it there. They had Barcelona. They were, I mean, just before they scored the goal, they were dominating possession. Looked like they might have scored. They maybe got a bit greedy in possession, and you know that's why they got caught out. But for 70 minutes, Arsenal looked like they really could have got something from that game. Yeah, I really think if you're going to blame at least one part of the Arsenal team, it's got to be the attack. Because even before the Barcelona game, they've, they, they hadn't scored in five of the last eight games. You know, Giroud hasn't scored in eight games. Sanchez is 3-15, and 15, I think. Yeah, I mean, 100%, Ryan. I think it's probably summed up when you, when you said about that possession. And, and for 70% of the game, Arsenal were you know, in it and more than in it. Um, but it sort of summed it up for me. There was one uh, piece of play when Oxlade-Chamberlain broke down the right-hand side. And you know, this was a real opportunity for Arsenal to you know, get something on target. And you know, he had all the pace. He'd timed the run really well. He, he judged the bounce of the ball. And just took a terrible touch and ended up committing a foul and, and hurting himself in the pro, in the process. And I think that sums up the whole Arsenal performance. They were they were almost there, but just really it still wasn't good enough. Um, afterwards, Wenger said the site have a five percent chance of progressing to the next round. Is it even that high? I think I think five percent is fair. Um, <laughs> I I don't think it's any lower because you know it is Arsenal. They do have very good players. They've got Mezut. They've got Alexis Sanchez. Um, they have checking goal. Um, but it is that Arsenal team against the front three of Barcelona and um, all their other players and two away goals. So I think five percent is fair. So you think they'll go? You think Barcelona will go through? I think Bar- Barcelona will definitely go through. Um, they might concede an early away goal that gives Arsenal, you know, some hope, and then they'll crush them like three, four, one. I think there's a bigger question here as well in terms of where Arsenal go from here. I think this is they haven't been in the quarterfinal of the Champions League since 2010. You know, it's six years now, and um, you have to kind of question where they're going to go from here. Who did they sign in the summer? Because I think they do really need a big name player to kind of get in the next league and you know you can say okay they played Barcelona probably the best team in Europe the best team in the world but that's no excuse you know if you want to win the Champions League you need to beat these teams it's true and uh, the squad building is, is a big issue um, you say they need one big name player I think they need several big name players they've had Mezut that one summer then they had Alexis Sanchez and they had Czech but they've only ever had that one mm. big player or one signing I think the team is good but the way they're building is much too slow. You look at other teams like the money United is spending, uh, how much money Pep is going to have at City. They're going to need to compete with those teams as well as the Bayern, the Juves, the Barca's, the Real Madrid. So they're going to have to bring in a lot more than just one big-name player. I think um, if Wenger wasn't as frugal as he um, as he is and he spent the same amount of money that Van Gaal did, you know, Arsenal would have run away with this title. Definitely agree. I mean, it's... London, it's Arsenal, it's Wenger. Um, players will want to play for him. It's just a matter of spending the money to get those players. Elsewhere, I've got something to confess. Go on then. I've got beef with Eden Hazard. We've been hearing about this all week. I have been talking about it a lot this week in work. I've got real beef with Eden Hazard. I'm sure he's probably not too bothered about it, but I've got, I'm, I'm bothered about it. So the reports 
in in the papers this week in the Telegraph was that Hazard said he would find it difficult to turn down Real Madrid. Now, the one reason, or one of the reasons that stories like this appear in the newspaper is because either a player or a player's agent or a representative of the player is talking to the reporter. That's how these stories get out. Every time, that's how these stories get out. And they don't come out without the player's consent, I would think. And of course... There was the quotes before the PSG game when he said he would find it difficult not to play for PSG. But this is a player who's had... A he, found, sh- he found it difficult to play for Chelsea that night too, by the way. He, he found it... <laughs> well, that's my, that's my point. He found it very difficult to play for Chelsea. He was their worst player on the pitch that night, without a shadow of a doubt. And he's been one of their... Relative to talent, he has been one of their worst players this season. Okay, he scored a free kick or he scored a goal against MK Dons and he scored one against Man City's under-19 reserves. But for a player who's playing like that and who's had, let's say, one particularly good season when he dragged Chelsea to the title, I can't argue with that. He was brilliant that season, really, really good. But he's, that's one good season. If you want to play for the likes of Real Madrid, you've got to be doing it on a consistent basis over a number of seasons and prove yourself. And Hazard hasn't done that. And he's one of those players I love to hate. So short story long, you're not an Eden Hazard. I'm not an Eden Hazard. <laughs> I'm not going to buy a Chelsea jersey with Eden Hazard on the back. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else got beef with Eden Hazard or other players that they'd like to mention? Yeah, I, I agree with you with the Hazard thing. Like, You don't come out and say, I would, I would stay at Chelsea unless Real Madrid came for me. What, what is that to Chelsea fans? And saying, OK, I'm happy here until the next best thing comes along. And his teammates, what does that mean? What if he says that to his teammates? Yeah. What if he said that to his girlfriend? Yeah, I'm happy with you, <laughs> but honestly, if something better comes along, yeah. if yeah, Miss World I'm comes, on the, yeah, I'm yeah. on the next flight. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work in any other situation. You don't tell your boss, do you? Yeah. But some, for some reason, footballers, you know, and their agents, as you said, by association, um, can have an occasional knack of that. Yeah. So anybody else got some players that they'd love that they love to hate that they want to share with the world? This one might be a little controversial, but um, Messi. What? Yes, I you... hate or I love to hate Lionel Messi. I agree. I agree. Oh, the greatest player that the world has ever produced. How are there two of them at the table? There's as two. Well? You're not yeah. even. We're not even one. There's two of them. No. Okay, well, come on, explain. All right. So, first of all, big Ronaldo fanboy. So I guess that plays into it a little bit. But I'm just very frustrated with the squeaky clean image that Messi has in the press. He is a player that can do no wrong, apart from maybe in Argentina because he hasn't won the World Cup yet. But, and again, these stories may or may not be true, right? But there's been stuff written about him. So, like, for example, the Coca-Cola incident at Barcelona, when I believe it was Pep told him not to drink the drink. And in front of all the teammates and all staff and the coach, Messi opens the Coke bottle and drinks the Coke. There's also been a few reports of him being very arrogant and nasty towards teammates in training. And I feel like Ronaldo gets all the hate that Messi should be getting. Ronaldo off the pitch, he doesn't have any tattoos because he gives blood every month or two months. He, you know, only cares about his kid and the occasional party trips to Morocco. Um, you know, Me- Messi. Messi is this bad boy off the off the pitch, but he gets so much love from the media. It, it just really, really, really makes me angry. And 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 I guess that's why that's why I hate him. 
Hate's a, hate's a strong word for me, to be honest, um, considering that we really have actually no idea what these people are like. Yeah. Um, but I've got someone who I, who I dislike uh, a fair bit. Um, Jack Wilshere has oh. been someone who has built up, especially in the English press, which loves to build up players as you know the, the next big thing, the future of English football. Of course, he's had a lot of injuries, but he's also a real brat as well. And, you know, I'm normally someone who likes a tenacious, small, you know, pint-sized player, given, you know, I'm a bit tenacious and small myself. Um, Gattuso, of course, I was a massive fan of. Even Dennis Wise, who probably his own mother doesn't like him. I had a lot of respect with the way he played. But Wilshere, he's really delivered none of the potential, not all, all his fault, but carries on like he has. Um, and I think that's probably why I don't have a lot of... Uh, a lot of love for Jack Wilshere. You don't feel a bit sorry for him given the injuries that he's had to suffer? I do, but then you look at this, you know, he's just got a bit of a proven track record of being a bit of a brat as well. And um, it's hard to have a bit of, you know, Darren Anderton looked like he would, you know, obviously spend his rehab at the library, for example, <laughs> whereas Jack Wilshere's smoking cigarettes at a pool in Marbella or something like that. So, yeah, it's a little bit hard to associate or to, you know, um, to grow close to it, the image of that, I suppose. Ryan? Yeah, I think I mentioned him a few times in the office. Uh, John Terry. That's an obvious choice, though, I think. Um, and I'd, I would go so far as to say he's not someone that I love to hate because loving to hate someone implies that you, you want to hate them and it makes you feel good to hate them. It doesn't make me feel good to feel, think about John Terry. <laughs> I, I don't want to go home stressed after a, a day's work thinking about John Terry. <laughs> How often do you go home and think about John Terry? Well, after my uh, counselling, not, not too much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have much to say say about him that's not already been said in the press. Um, you know, you have your opinion pieces, you have the factual evidence there. And I just don't like the guy's face, to be honest. <laughs> he's one of those guys who his, his actual ability has really helped him get away with a lot. Yeah. Let's be honest. If again, I, I've used this example already earlier in the podcast, but if we had a, a work colleague who got away with or did some of the things that John Terry had done, probably wouldn't be working here anymore. Yet um, at Chelsea, of course, he's a legend. He's revered. He's, he's the captain. They're, they're going to be a worse place off when you know he leaves. It just goes to show that they uh, do forgive quite easily in sport. Yeah. Mm. Uh, joining us on the line to talk all things Manchester City is David Mooney from Typical City. David, after the win last night in the Champions League, Pellegrini said that the victory justified playing that weekend's team against Chelsea. Uh, do you agree and was he right to do so? Um, well, I think the the answer to your question is, yeah, it does. Um, I think ultimately Pellegrini's uh, been vilified in his uh, in his decision because uh, they went and won the game in, in Kiev. At, at, well, in the end, quite a canter. It didn't look like it would be for, for 20 minutes or so in the second half. Uh, but overall, it was it was a very good, solid performance. Um, whether or not it throws up the, the question of, of whether they could have done that had they played a full team in the FA Cup at the weekend, who knows? Um, ultimately, I think he... he uh, he was probably right to do it. Whether whether or not um, you look at the Champions League as a competition that City can win over 
uh, the FA Cup say I, can, I think they've got a much better chance of uh, I thought oh, they had a much better chance of winning the FA Cup than they did uh, than they do the Champions League um, but ultimately you know the Champions League is where City want to progress in and, and had they uh, had they fielded a stronger team against Chelsea got a couple more injuries uh, in the squad already which is a, a squad that's already decimated by injuries um, they could have been in trouble in the, in, in the European competition and now they've got themselves into a position where a 3-1 lead in the tie uh, means that the second leg should, and I use the word should very cautiously here, uh, but it should be a formality. So, uh, you know, the the, uh, the Tuesday or Wednesday evening, I can't remember which one it is, uh, but the Tuesday or Wednesday evening before the Manchester derby shouldn't be as taxing as it could have been in, you know, uh, on uh, had they not got the result that they did on uh, in Kiev. So I think ultimately Pellegrini was right to make that call. Um, it's kind of a bigger picture decision rather than uh, rather than um, one week. Although I do think he kind of backed himself into a corner with it. I think the the, the fact that he, he kind of said to everybody, "Oh, I'll play my kids," way before any discussions had gone on about trying to move the game against Chelsea, he kind of backed himself into a corner of having to do it. Um, and ultimately, you know, they they got battered five one in that game, and it, it's still it's a it's a blot on the record book. Um, but it's it's got the outcome that that they wanted. And now, if they can go on and win the uh, the League Cup final on uh, on Sunday, then you know he he will feel fully justified in that decision. David, uh, obviously, it's good for Pellegrini. It's good for for City that that you know decision has been um, vindicated. But from a broader point of view, what does it say about the FA Cup? I mean, uh, this is a, a cup competition that's sort of dressed up as being potentially the most prestigious in, in you know, club European football. Um, what does it say, though, about the FA Cup? And, and is that sort of, I guess, that aura around the competition changing a little? Um, I don't know. I think... Um Ultimately, I think uh, it's. I do think it's a bit rich when uh, the the criticisms aimed at, at City for uh, the phrase that's been used a lot is disrespecting the FA Cup, um, simply because uh, they have have taken it as seriously as as they could have done up to that point. They they fielded uh, full full strength teams against uh, Norwich and Aston Villa. Uh, and then only brought the youngsters on when the game was was pretty much done and dusted. Um, he did the same for the League Cup. He's taken the League Cup seriously ever since he arrived at City. He's won it once. He uh, he, he played a full strength team last season and went out to, to Newcastle uh, with a bad performance. It wasn't through any sort of rotation. Uh, and then this season they've got to the final again through playing uh, full strength team. So Pellegrini is not somebody who really dis- who disrespects cup competitions like that. Um, and I think ultimately, if you want to talk about the the aura of the FA Cup. Um, the the biggest problem comes with moving games, and that's I think that's what Pellegrini's point was. Uh, you can't expect the English sides to go on, and and certainly ones like City that are depleted with injuries to then uh, be able to fight on four fronts if you're moving games closer to each other just so that you can keep the television uh, broadcasters happy. Um, but on the other side of the fence, do you want the money that the the TV broadcasters bring in? Well, yeah, we do. So you kind of have to put up and shut up with it. So. Ultimately, I think it's kind of a, a culmination of factors that might be knocking the aura of the FA Cup. Um, unfortunately, I think City are kind of like the byproduct of all of that. David, was there any sense from the players who were left out that they wanted to play? Because you think about players like Messi and Suarez and Neymar who always want to play. That's one of the big defining characteristics about them. There didn't seem to be any sort of rumblings from the City players that, you know, even, say, the fringe, the players who might be considered fringe players, uh, like Sterling or, or somebody like that, was, was there anything from them that they, that they wanted to play at all? 
Um, well, I think like any footballer, you'd, uh, if you asked where you were available and you were fit and you know not suffering from an injury, then I think sure you'd say yeah, you uh, you were you were available and you'd wanted to play. Um, but ultimately, I've seen nothing in the press. I've seen nothing to say that that those sorts of things happen. But City keep they keep quite a good ship these days when it comes to making sure that comments that they don't want out there um, don't get leaked and don't get uh, don't get uh, put out to the press. Um, it would surprise me if the players that were available, the, the more senior players that were available, hadn't said to him, "Well, actually, you know, I, I want to play." Um, if that hadn't happened, then then I'd be surprised. But uh, ultimately, it's his decision, and like I say, that, that Pellegrini is a very good man manager. So I, I think he's, I think his influence on the team has probably done enough to to kind of quell and say, "Well, actually, you no, know, look at the bigger picture. You're likely to be playing, you know, in the Champions League on Wednesday evening, and you know, for for players like Sterling, like uh, Vincent Company, who uh, who also missed." out um, coming back from injury recently uh, like Aguero like Torre they all played pivotal roles in that game uh, in Kiev so I think ultimately the bigger picture is they're still very much involved in the club How far can City go in the competition? Uh, in the Champions League uh, ultimately it depends on the draw I think um, they they look in good shape this year they, they, this I'd say is City's best Champions League campaign um, simply because you know they've they've only lost two ties, both of them to Juventus, and you know they were a little unlucky to uh, to have lost the home game. They were a bit naive uh, in Turin, um, but they they they're showing signs this year of having learnt from previous mistakes, which is not something that City have done very quickly in the Champions League. They've made a lot of mistakes and a lot of the same mistakes over the previous years, uh, but this year they seem to be uh, since we're doing a few, they seem to be learning from those mistakes, and it's it's good to see. And I think ultimately if if City were to draw the likes of, of Bayern Munich, Barcelona again, then I think ultimately they'd fall short. Um, but that's not a criticism of City because you know most teams would fall short against against those uh, the, the the giants of the competition. Um, if they can if if they can get a decent draw in the next round, then uh, they they might be able to go through and uh, and get you know a bit further on uh, semi final stage maybe. So I think it's uh, ultimately it'll come down to that. I I wouldn't expect them to be winning it just yet, um, but I think uh, that's certainly the overall aim of the club in the next few years. Uh, before you have to, I mean, before City have to worry about that, they have to worry about the League Cup final. Do you think that their recent trophy-laden experience is going to do them or serve them good in in the match against Liverpool? That would be my hope. If it comes down to kind of big game management, I would hope that City have got a little bit more than a little bit more recent experience than Liverpool or that. Um, my worry is that uh, City have only recently shown signs of being able to defend and that's a, it's a big worry when you've got a Jurgen Klopp side that very happily presses the ball high up the pitch and a City side that's very happy to make defensive errors so th- it could be a dangerous game for City on uh, on Sunday they've got uh, th- they've got the previous experience earlier in the year of having lost 4-1 to uh, to this Liverpool side um, and that'll be that. I don't see any reason why that won't be playing on their minds. So it it will be a very tough game, and and if it comes down to experiencing cup finals, then I think City might just edge it. If it comes down to um, that that sort of high pressure, high intensity game, I worry that City don't have enough in the tank to kind of be able to cope with that. But you know, we'll see. It's uh, just looking further ahead. Um, obviously, you're up against uh, Klopp this weekend. Um, you will, of course, have one of his, you know, uh, I guess more recent nemeses um, with Guardiola at the helm next season. I'm just interested to know, looking ahead, there's been a lot of speculation about who might uh, arrive at City. Um, I'm probably more interested, David, in, in you know, hearing who you think might depart or won't fit um, in Guardiola's uh, style. It's a very 
specific style. And I think there's going to be a few players um, at City who will probably depart. But I'd be interested to know perhaps a couple of names off the top of your head who you think might not be there this time next year. Well, City have got uh, big problems in the fullback areas. Um, I, I've never been convinced by Alexander Korov and uh, Gail Cleish is looking... He's, look, he's looking like he's getting on in his uh, in his career, which he is now. Um, so I, I think that we could see a new left back and and maybe even two new left backs, and both of them uh, moved on. And my other uh, big kind of worry is uh, is Pablo Zabaleta because he's somebody who's he's kind of on the downward curve now. He hit such huge heights back in 2012 and 2013 when he was arguably the best right fullback in the uh, in the world, and he has never he's he suffered two very big knee injuries this year that's and and that's oh, it's one of those injuries that's always a problem to kind of come back from you never know if you're going to be able to hit those heights again and I just worry with Zabaleta if he's going to be able to do that I mean other names that are likely to leave I, I can't see the, there being another season for Yaya Toure um, I think this is uh, this is Toure's last season and um, I'm also very worried about David Silva he's He's been one of the linchpins of City's success down the last few years, and there's not a City fan alive that doesn't love the little guy. Um, but the problem is, is he's, he's Guardiola likes his teams to press high, and he likes them to work really hard in the in the attacking third to get the ball back. And that's not really David Silva's game. Whether he can be trained into doing that, maybe. My my worry is that he's now the wrong side of thirty, and it could be one of those things where Guardiola looks at him and goes. I think I've got junior players at the club who can do your job better than you in a couple of years' time. And it will be really hard for City fans to see somebody like Silva moved on because he's, he's such a, an icon of the, of the last few years of City's team. Um, and, the, I mean, the, the news this week as well is that, uh, that Sergio Aguero has, uh, has announced that he wants to retire at City. So I think that'd be, uh, th- that, that would be one of those where you kind of say, well, if, if he's going to lead the line, then as long as they've got some great attacking talent behind, who cares? Uh, joining us on the line to talk about all things Liga is Andrew Gibney from French Football Weekly. Andrew, PSG are running away with it, but the real interesting story is the rest of the league. Just to put this in some context, the in the Premier League, the points difference between 3rd and 17th is 27. It's the same in Italy. And in La Liga, the difference is 30 points. But in Liga, there's just 11 separating 3rd and 17th. Uh, why is that, Andrew? It, I suppose it's... One, one side, everyone's quite quite close together, which sort of brings a lot of sort of inconsistency, and just no one's quite got that upper hand to break away. You look at uh, Nice and Saint Etienne, who are third and fourth at the moment. They've both only won two of the, two of the last six games, uh, so you can kind of go through a bad spell but still be up the top, or you can go through a really good spell and you'll go up from bottom to sort of mid table. And no one just there's no clear. Uh, third, fourth, fifth place teams to really push away. You expect Leon to be up there, they're in fifth, they've only won three of their last uh, six, they lost against Lille last weekend, uh, Marseille have got a terrible, terrible home record, uh, doing a lot, a lot better on the road, and there's just there's a lot of good teams, but they're all really, really close together, and and everyone says, oh, PSG are running away with it, they are, and it's one, because PSG are so good, and it's not because the other teams are bad, just there's a lot. They're all at the same level. So it's 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 not a lack of quality among the teams, or is it a lack of quality among these teams? I mean, the teams can be better. There's no, there's no doubt in that. Uh, but I think it's it's more 
they are all around the same level whereas where they're all being as good or they're all as bad uh, they're all very very similar and it's, it's a, there's, there's quality players on each side there's average players on each side but you look at a team like Angers who at one point were sort of second and third this season they're now down the ninth they've only won one in the last six they've lost four in a row they they were not, not a team of stars, it was very much a team ethic, a team mentality to play together, play tough and that works so well in France, if, you have, if you're well organised and have a, a game plan that you stick to you will have success, whereas Lyon and Marseille Saint-Étienne to an extent, have, have missed that at times, and they've been kept up by having sort of better players like the likes of Alexander Lacazette for Lyon, when you've got players like that, you can get the odd result here and there that maybe you shouldn't get and the teams that are working together like Con, uh, Angers, even Lorient at times, they'll get results because of the way they're coached and the way they play the game. Uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, as we said, PSG are, are running a, away with it, but it's not it's not all good at the at the Parisian club. Uh, there's been that incident with Serge Aurier and now uh, Irvin Ongeda has had got himself in trouble. Could you fill us in on the latest with Aurier and maybe give us some background on the on Genda case? Yeah, Aurier is a really, it's, it's such a shame because he was having a fantastic season and I really don't genuinely think there's any better right-backs around his age in world football at the moment. I think he's an outstanding talent. And this, this went on lies the problem because he's he slagged off his coach who, as Blanc said, worked so hard to get him there and it makes it very very hard for Blanc to sort of trust to trust him and sort of get him back into the team but because he's so good they can't just get rid of him <laughs> they can't just say look this isn't this isn't going to work and like any other if any other job if you slagged off everyone like you had you'd be gone but because you're a talented footballer and because it's all because if, if, if they let him go, someone like Arsenal, Man City, Bayern Munich will just come in and, and take him away and they'll, they'll be picking up a very good player for cheap. And I think the fact that PSG are still quoting sort of 15, 20, 20 million euros uh, to, to maybe double their profit on a player that's caused problems, that tells you how good a player he is. Uh, Erwin Ongenda is a bit of a different story. He was caught driving without a, a, a licence. Uh, but he he's a fringe player, so it's, obviously it's not caught the same attention because he really probably is not good enough to be a PSG player in the future. He probably should be on loan somewhere. They were trying to get him out on loan at the start of the season and in January. So that one is not picked up as much as much as the headlines because he's, he's nowhere near in the same league as a player. Whereas Ori, it gives you that if if you're not very good, you just get sacked. But because he is so good, they have to, and I think Blanc will find a way to keep Ori at the club and to play him again, although he's suspended indefinitely. I think he's meeting before on Blanc today, it's Thursday, to sort of see if they can iron out these problems. It's going to be interesting to see what the decision is. But I think they'll find a way because of the quality that he has. And who could they possibly get to replace him? I don't think there's anyone as good out there that isn't going to cost a lot of money. You don't think that destroying of the trust would, would just lead to Blanc saying, look... You know, I've got to get rid of you here. There's nothing I can do. I think I think that's was everyone's instant reaction. Was they'll get rid of him, but now I think when they look at it, I think they'll, they'll try and find a way. I'll I, I, I link to recently. There's, there's a story of uh, Romario and Bebeto back in the nineties hating each other when they played for Brazil. 
but they found a way to play together and you, you, you won the World Cup and I think you don't have to like each other you might not trust him you might not sort of like his personality but Block knows more than anyone how good a player Ori is so if there's a way to work it out it might Block might not be happy about it he might hate doing it but Ori is a fantastic player and I think that's going to be the underlining and I've heard stories of the fact that Ori was was still laughing about it when he was made to do his PSG apology video and he didn't show a lot of remorse which is alarming for a player to have that attitude but I think it would be in the back of it he knows his players have the power these days that's that's the worst thing they, they have all he's holding all the cards because uh, I suppose he knows if he doesn't play at PSG he'll just go somewhere else where, where does that leave Blanc then I mean it's sort of He's between a rock and a hard place here. If he if he if he gets rid of Aurier, he's losing a very good player. But if he keeps Aurier, does that send a sign to the rest of the squad that they can say whatever they want about him and to get away with it? It it it, it, it opens the door for us a dangerous situation, doesn't it? Because there was the, there was a against Marseille, uh, David Luiz was injured and sort of refused to come off, and Marquinhos apparently was not happy at all that that Luiz could do this, and. Blanc doesn't want to get to that same situation where he was a year ago when Levetsi and Cavani sort of disrespected the not going to the, the squad gathering in Marrakesh and they got suspended uh, for two weeks and Blanc won, won more favour in the squad for doing that. So whether the way PSG dress up as in it's not Blanc's decision or because he has come out and he's been strong, they called already uh, pitiful and it was he was really against what had happened, whether that gives him a sort of it's a bit of leverage that everyone knows he's not happy with it and, and upset about it. But whereas the club, the club make the decision, it maybe doesn't weaken him as much. But yeah, it's a really interesting. It's going to be very important how they deal with it. Uh, but I think just by how good Ori has been this season, if he'd been average, this is that he is a fantastic player and has brought so much to that team. I just personally, I think they'll find a way to make it work. Have have any of his teammates teammates come out in support of him or come out in support of Blanc? Yeah, Blaise Matuidi uh, last week that was an important one. Who's a massive fan favourite, French international, big big man, one of the best players in France. Came out in support of Ori and said that he was his teammate and everyone sort of liked him. So that opens the door that it's not it's not a, a close situation. That if someone like that who's so important to the team shows his support. Ori and he's had support from like Didier Drogba the national team level at the Ivory Coast so people are backing him it's just his own actions where you think is this is this all is that a way to get him back in if, if, this, if the right people say the right things it softens the blow so yeah Matuidi was a big one that was a huge one because of his his stature and, and the team for it's a, for France and for PSG um, of course, uh, Aurier might not be the only person who could be leaving PSG. There's rumours of an Ibrahimovic exit. Is there is there any truth behind this? Well, he sort of te- he teased after the Chelsea game that it's like he felt fit and he didn't know what so like, you know, the future would say this soon and everyone will know about it and it's, that's going to be a huge decision because I think PSG. I mean, a year ago I was quite vocal in saying that I think. I thought, I thought he was he was looking done. He looked older. He looked like injuries were getting the best of him. His performances weren't great, but this season he's looked so much healthier than he did 
last season and he's playing to the best. He scored a lot of penalties last season, but this season you can see his goals and his link-up play has been phenomenal. And they, they have to do everything they can to keep him for another season, mostly also because of the poor form of Edison Cavani. Because if, if someone is tempted to bid for Cavani and he goes, and then you lose Ibrahimovic, that's a massive chunk up front of talent that you have to replace in one summer. Regardless of how much money you've got in this, uh, the pool of PSG, that's two players in a squad that you need to sort of replace with the best the best quality you can, and that's never easy. So I, I think Zlatan will stay. I think he enjoys being in Paris. I think mean, he enjoys this is his team. But it all depends on what, what other offers he's getting and what I think with the MLS project, I think he's quite interested in, but that'll still be there in another 12 months. The the English one is interesting. There's a Manchester United link, and obviously if Mourinho goes there, he has said he wants to play Mourinho in the future again. That was uh, last season during the Chelsea game. That'll be very, very tempting. So I think it depends what, what he gets on the table, but I think PSG is probably the best option for him. That's great, Andrew. Uh, thanks for talking to us. That's all from us today. My thanks to Ryan, Fabian, Paddy, Andrew and David. Go to iTunes and rate us and make sure to download One Football from your app store. Bye.